Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is James, and we are reading chapter 21 of the Blood Magic series, Roses and Agapanthus. April 19th, 2008. Draco was fucking exhausted. They'd only been in Tenebris Hollow for a few short weeks, and he was already feeling completely in over his head. Between helping Harry stay alive, trying to make the space around the cottage usable for a potions garden, tracking the unicorn herds, trying to learn how to knit a hat, and writing his research theories, he felt utterly wrecked. He was tramping his way back through the forest to the cottage after another failed attempt to get near the unicorns. He knew it would be a challenge getting close to them. He knew that but it didn't make the reality of it any less frustrating. He wished they could just see him and understand that he didn't want to harm them. Maybe they could sense he was after their blood and just assumed he meant to obtain it through malicious means. Or maybe they were wild animals and he was a strange human with no grace in an unfamiliar wilderness. He was sweating profusely as he rounded the last bend in the path before it started descending into the little valley that was Tenebris Hollow. The cottage was down at the very bottom of this dip in the forest floor, and the angles of the mountains rose up gently around it, protecting it from the howling winds and the worst of the weather. From his vantage point, he could see the top of the forest that surrounded the little cottage and the small furls of smoke that indicated human life amid the ancient trees. Stripping off another layer to allow the cool spring breeze better access to his skin, he tried not to feel so overwhelmed by his predicament. What if he spent the next 11 months chasing a unicorn herd that would never let him near them? What if this was all a huge waste of time? What if Harry decided to fuck off as soon as his magic came back? Despite the intensity and fragility of their very precarious arrangement, Draco had come to appreciate having another human around. Even if that human had spent the last two weeks mostly unconscious or in debilitating pain. Draco didn't know what it would be like when Harry started to come back to himself. He panicked a little at the thought of sharing such close sleeping quarters with someone who wasn't on death's doorstep. He couldn't think of that now. He had other things to worry about. Perhaps he should write to Beatrice about this. How would he even explain this to his therapist? Dear Beatrice, I've kidnapped the savior of the wizarding world, and I'm helping him get clean. I quite enjoy his company when he's unconscious, but I'm worried about our sleeping arrangements once he's not half dead. Any advice? No. He didn't think he could even speak to Beatrice about this. He was going to have to use his coping skills on his own. The training wheels were off. He stomped his way down the forest path through the thick brambles and under the towering trees of oak, pine, cedar, and hawthorn. The smell of damp spring heavy in the air. There were little patches of snow eddies still visible that hadn't melted yet since the last snowstorm, but there were signs of new life everywhere. He heard a rustling off in the underbrush to his right and he drew his wand as a precaution. Maybe it was a squirrel, or a rabbit, or maybe it was a centaur. A loud squawk startled Draco so badly he nearly lost his balance. A large crow flew out of a bush and landed on a branch ahead of Draco. You feathered heathen, he chastised the crow, but it just continued to squawk at him. Draco rolled his eyes, moored himself in the bird, and continued down the path with his wand still out. As the musings of the crow faded into the background of other forest noises, Draco saw the swish of a long black tail from behind a tree. He recognized the Thestral in an instant and shook his head, smiling. He had been shocked at the number of Thestrals he came across in the forest. There were dozens of them, and they didn't seem in the least bit wary of him. 
quite the contrary, actually. He found himself being followed by a number of them as he tried to stalk the unicorn herds. He would have blamed the Thestrals for his inability to get close to the unicorns if he hadn't seen them walk right up and mingle in with their herds. The unicorns seemed supremely unconcerned by their presence. He chuckled out loud when he realized he'd wandered into the middle of nearly 20 Thestrals, picking their way quietly through the underbrush. They all perked their ears towards Draco and watched him curiously as he passed through them. A few stepped towards him and began amicably lumbering in his wake. He thought vaguely that maybe he should be unnerved by so many of them, and that they all seemed fairly interested in his comings and goings. But rather, he found them quite endearing. Odd and a bit awkward, but endearing nonetheless. He would have to bring some meat for them tomorrow when he went back to the unicorns, he thought, as he looked behind him to see four or five of them slowly ambling down the path after him. He was hungry, and he took the last bit of the trail to the cottage at a jog. He didn't like to leave Harry on his own for more than a few hours in case he was needed, and he had been gone for nearly five hours already this morning. He stopped jogging and resumed his brisk walking pace just before entering the clearing to the garden at the back steps of the cottage to the west, and held a stitch in his side as he breathed deeply through his nose. The cottage really was a beautiful place. The gently sloping forest around it seemed to hold it like in a cradle. The wild living roof was full of the signs of spring, and the thick carpets of green moss and lichen clung to the rough stone walls all along the little round building. Off to the left of the garden was a beautiful little pond where little green lily pads started to pop up, and on the other side of the cottage was an old stone well and iron pump for filling the bath or large cauldrons when an aguamenti just didn't cut it. It felt like something out of a fairy tale, something surreal and ethereal. Coming into the clearing, he was surprised to see Harry in the garden, pulling weeds with a look of deep concentration on his face, looking far less ill than he had since they'd come back from their outing to Grimald Place. Draco walked forward, panting from his exertion, holding his stitch and nodded at Harry when he looked up and saw Draco approaching. Harry nodded back and continued his attack on an impressively large burdock that saw fit to sink its taproot into the middle of the walkway. Their conversations had been minimal since first arriving. Not that they didn't have anything to talk about, but in the light of the intensity they seemed to always share, they didn't really have a need to talk. Not yet, anyways. Once inside the cool shelter of the little cottage, he made a mental list of the things he needed to accomplish. First, he needed to get out of his gross clothes. He was sweaty and covered in detritus from crawling on the ground, trying to edge his way towards the unicorn herd. Then, he would make lunch, have a strong cup of tea, write to Hagrid about his frustrations, write down his feeble attempts with the unicorns for posterity, go to work in the garden, then settle Harry in with his afternoon potions. Finally, after dinner, he would pick up his knitting and try to soothe his ragged nerves with some soft yarn. He felt like his head was full to bursting with a million things to think about. He took a deep breath and reminded himself as he closed himself into the bathroom that all he could do was take this moment by moment and try not to panic about what lay ahead. Draco found himself kneeling in the garden later that afternoon. His quick bath before lunch had been utterly pointless, as he was now covered in more sweat and dirt than he had been before. He was breathing hard and staring daggers into a hedgerow of roses that he had unearthed under a gnarled sprawl of brambles and weeds. He felt personally offended, betrayed even, that this garden had been harboring these dozen or so rose bushes within its midst without Draco's knowledge. 
He felt a sharp stab of anger at the thought of the rose bushes awakening after their winter slumber and going on to produce an array of heavily scented flowers to gawk at him every time he walked past. With swift retribution, he grabbed his spade and began hacking at the base of the nearest rose bush. It was grueling work, as these plants must have been at least a hundred years old, judging by the thickness of their trunks, but he reveled in the physical exertion and the non-magic of the task. The rational part of his brain said that perhaps he should feel some guilt for senselessly murdering an ancient hedgerow of roses, whose magical properties were probably very powerful, not to mention interesting. But the part of his brain that was trapped in the manor's rose garden felt a vindictive pleasure at driving the sharp spade into the gnarled roots of the plant and bringing about its timely death. After 20 minutes of hacking that grew more and more frantic and desperate, Draco was finally able to wrest the rose's ball of roots from the earth and toss the mangled form of thorns and branches into a heap next to the compost pile of weeds. He sank back down on his knees in front of the hedgerow and resumed his pensive and angry staring. One down, another dozen or so to go. Draco managed to bring about the demise of five whole rose bushes that evening, each successive thorny mass harder to pull out than the last one. He eventually tried to resort to magical means of destruction, but magic didn't seem to help much either. These were old and magical roses, and they were putting up a fight. Well, two could play at that game, he thought bitterly. But after three hours and only five bushes, he decided he would have to save his strength and resume his attack the next day. You okay? He heard an apprehensive voice from behind him that caused Draco to start. Turning around from his seated position, surrounded by the carnage of his rose assault, he saw Potter standing there with a look of profound concern on his face. A look he hadn't seen directed at him before from this man. Draco thought he must look a right mess if Harry of all people were looking at him like that. Draco just shrugged and turned back towards the rose hedge. He didn't have much energy left in him to try and explain this, nor did he think he wanted to. Harry could think what he wanted about Draco's behavior towards the unforgiving hedge. He wondered with a flush of embarrassment how long Harry had been watching him, and how mad he must have looked hacking maniacally away at the roses. It hadn't been his normal methodical weeding, he had really viciously attacked those plants. He heard footsteps approaching and felt Harry's arm brush against him as he sat down next to Draco. He didn't say anything, just sat there and let his presence comfort him. He hadn't even realized he was craving comfort, but he really was. Fuck those rose bushes, honestly, he thought. I don't like Agapanthus, Harry said after a long while. Draco's breathing evened out and he was no longer panting. Draco looked at him, feeling a little confused, not knowing how to respond. Surely Harry couldn't think Draco hated roses just for the sake of it. No, really, I hate Agapanthus, he continued, after seeing the apparent look of incredulity on Draco's face. My aunt had them in her garden, and she fawned over them in the grossest way. I used to poison them when she wasn't looking. He didn't know much about Harry's early years, other than he was raised by Muggle relatives. But given the state of terror Harry had been in when wrapped in another nightmare, it gave Draco a pause to think that growing up with him may not have been the most pleasant experience. Draco snorted, trying not to laugh at the image of Boy Wonder poisoning his aunt's agapanthus out of sheer spite. Not the nicest, were they? Draco said, finally responding, fiddling with some twigs on the ground. Harry smirked and shook his head, but didn't answer. I used to love roses, Draco said finally. He didn't actually mean to say it, it just kind of slipped out. 
Not anymore? Harry asked, without looking at him. Not anymore, he said, sighing. One of the many things Voldemort and his Death Eaters ruined for me. They were quiet for a long while again before Harry spoke. I'm hungry. Let's go eat something. Today was full of little surprises, thought Draco, as he watched Harry busy himself making them peanut butter and jam sandwiches. He himself began the ritual of tea-making in preparing Harry's evening potion. Harry glanced sideways at him as he spread liberal amounts of raspberry jam onto several pieces of seeded bread in his sandwich assembly line. I think I'd like to try and leave the potion for tonight, he said hesitantly, as if he was wary of Draco's response. Draco stilled for a moment, pondering this. Yes, eventually Harry wouldn't need these potions anymore, but Draco wasn't so sure that tonight was that night. Are you sure? Draco asked. What do you think? Harry countered, unsure. I think you could try, Draco said after a moment. If you feel like it's too much without it, I'll leave it out here for you, over here. He indicated to the tea tray. Perhaps Draco's nervousness about this was his own baggage. Perhaps Draco only slept so soundly at night because of the knowledge that his unlikely housemate was incapable of much more than vague shuffling to the loo when under the influence of these potions. He tried to shake off his not-so-irrational fear of people near him when he slept. Thanks, Harry said quietly. I just want to feel like myself again. Draco nodded. Shit brought up peanut butter, he said as he scraped the remnants of the jar feebly with a butter knife. When do you find the time to go grocery shopping, by the way? The cupboards are always stocked. Oh, we have an enchanted cupboard, Draco supplied, pointing to the nondescript cupboard door at the far end of the kitchen under the counter. If there's something specific you want, just write it on a piece of parchment and stick it in there. The house elves will read it and send you what you want. It was McGonagall's idea. Harry seemed rather impressed by that. How quickly do they usually respond? I don't know, actually. I usually leave the list in there at night before bed and empty it in the morning. Why don't you find out? Harry didn't hesitate grabbing a scrap of parchment and scribbling a few words down and placing it carefully on the center shelf in the enchanted cupboard. He closed it, and after waiting for what seemed like 30 seconds, he opened it again. They were both surprised to see a jar of peanut butter there so quickly. Damn, Harry said, impressed, grabbing the peanut butter and closing the cupboard. House elves, Draco intoned. They don't fuck about. Harry let out a surprised laugh, the first genuine laugh Draco had heard from him since they had arrived together. He found himself smiling at the sound as he finished fixing their tea. Draco had moved the tray of peanut butter and jam sandwiches and the tea to the little rickety table and Harry followed. Settling himself down across from Draco, he grabbed a sandwich and took a large bite, looking pensively at him. So, Harry chewed his food thoughtfully. What exactly are we doing out here? I have a feeling you didn't come here on the fly after you found me. No, said Draco. I applied for a year's research sabbatical. I'm here to study the unicorn herds. Oh, Harry replied. What are you studying them for? I'm looking at the caveats of unicorn blood magic, he said, picking up a sandwich. If their blood is freely given, it can counterbalance the cursed half-life effect of killing one for it. I'm trying to see if freely given blood can be used in practical applications for curing dark magic and blood magic curses. Harry considered this. How are you going to convince a unicorn to give you their blood? Draco sighed and rubbed his forehead. I have no fucking clue, honestly. He felt exhausted after the emotional roller coaster of a day. I'm hoping I'll have an idea when Hagrid writes me back. You speak to Hagrid? 
Harry asked incredulously, sandwiched halfway to his mouth. Shocking though it may seem, Potter, Draco drawled with a smirk, but I apologize to Hagrid for being a git, and we've been quite close since I went back for eighth year. He's the one who suggested this cottage. Harry just observed him with a puzzled expression on his face, like he couldn't figure something out. What? Draco eventually asked, his smirk faltering, beginning to bristle under the gaze of scrutiny. Who the fuck are you, and what have you done with Malfoy? Harry cracked a small smile, looking thoroughly confused. What the fuck am I supposed to say to that Potter? Draco asked, chucking the crust of his sandwich at Harry's face, who swatted at it in exasperation. Was I supposed to say an arrogant brat who couldn't see past his father's faults? Honestly, get your head out of your ass. Of course I changed. You stood up at my fucking trial. You couldn't possibly think that I was still the same person from before and then stand up and defend my honor, you burk. There you are, Harry mused, picking up the crust Draco had thrown at him and eating it. Was beginning to worry there for a minute. Draco rolled his eyes and started to clear away their dinner. Do you want to tell me about how this idea that Draco is more comfortable with Harry, the less conscious he is? Oh, brutal question. (laughs) Um, I mean, on the one hand, I think it's like fairly transparent. He obviously has like a lot of trust issues around with like being vulnerable around other people. Um, And, And this vulnerability specifically being asleep. Yeah, being asleep. Like... I mean, could you be any more vulnerable? Like, you're unconscious, right? Um, Which is ironic because Harry's been unconscious around Draco pretty much this whole time. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, Draco knows himself. He knows he's not a predator, right? He knows he's not going to take advantage of people being unconscious, but he doesn't have that same trust with everybody else. Mm. Which I think is something, like, we really get into later on. Yeah. Slowly but surely. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, I think he's been very comfortable with this relationship, like, feeling like he is capable and has a bit of control over his personal space. And then, obviously, some of that control he has to give up and share as Harry comes into his own, (laughs) which is hard. (laughs) Do you want to talk about control issues? Not particularly. (laughs) What do you want to know? Well, is that something that you wrote into his character because you identify with it? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's like a common symptom of like most like abuse survivors is like you have like a intense need to control your environment. I think I think it's like a direct relationship to ensuring safety. Yeah, definitely. Because if you can control your environment, you can ensure that it's on your terms. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's an incredibly common phenomenon mm. for people with a lot of different types of trauma. Yeah. But particularly like childhood abuse, younger abuse, mm. or, you know, things where you were supposed to trust other people to take care yeah, of Yeah, definitely. You, and, and then they couldn't. didn't or mm-hmm. couldn't. So yeah, I think it's really telling. Um, that he has this immediate distrust of someone being awake, alert, conscious, and capable. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's trying to sleep. Yeah, well, because all of a sudden that makes them capable of um, making 
the choices that would be harmful to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he doesn't trust this idea that Harry would, well, not Harry particularly, but anyone. Anyone, yeah, it's like would, irrelevant that it's Harry. Would respect his humanity, yeah. basically. Or his boundaries. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, you respect someone's boundaries because you respect their humanity. Yeah. Or you respect them as an individual and mm. a human being. Yeah, and I think his overwhelming experience is that people don't. Right. And so we sort we sort of have played with this idea also like him opening up and being slightly vulnerable with friends. Mm-hmm. But like the idea of sleeping mm. isn't it a very very vulnerable yeah um concept. Yeah, and as we know, like he lives alone in a flat. It's not like mm-hmm. he invites people over for sleepovers. We've like alluded to the f- I mean, he didn't have much of a childhood after like his fourth or fifth year. Mm-hmm. Um so all of those like normal sleepover behaviors have been either very tainted or non-existent. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Do you want to talk about why you wrote about unicorn blood magic? I think we mentioned this like a few chapters ago, like the concept of consent in magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually think it was your idea to do the unicorns. And yes. then I just had this like visceral dislike of the unicorns, yes. like from the get go. <laughs> yes, that's sort of what I was yeah. getting at. Is yeah. why did you write the unicorns the way that you did? What, oh, like what? pompous assholes. <laughs> the yeah. embodiment of um, I don't know. I think like this idea, like even how J.K. wrote them, like unicorns are this idea of purity, and what does that like mean? Yeah, like what is what is purity? You know. What do you think of the fact that she wrote that they like girls more than boys? Oh, it really bothered me. Yeah. It me too. really irritated me. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like one of those like very like outdated notions. Um like Well, as if boys are inherently incapable of being like soft and trusting. Yeah, and kind. exactly. Yeah. Like those are Or that girls are inherently those soft. Those are feminine yeah, traits. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a very outdated understanding yeah. of human beings yeah definitely especially because like this draco that i wrote is very soft you know he's very soft and considerate and like sensitive and if the unicorns were going to be receptive to somebody it seems like he's the kind of person that they would be and yet he can't get near them yeah you wrote draco is very soft but in he is in no way effeminate no not at all and i think that's one of the the things that really irks me in stories mm-hmm. just like a personal preference yeah, yeah. is that people equate softness to femininity yeah and i think that's really irritating well that kind of opens <laughs> up a whole other discussion too because the feminization of draco and a lot yes. of fan fiction really bothers me because i feel like it's often written by heterosexual women who kind of try and superimpose this heteronormativity onto the dreary ship mm-hmm and often making Draco very feminine yeah. to like fit into that stereotype is it's one of my pet peeves actually because like this is a gay ship they are both men. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, unless you write them differently. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, I know, but like it, it's just like what there's so many other ships that Did you, could, you yeah <laughs> you could apply that to. You Did know? you get the impression that he's effeminate in canon? No, not at all. Not at all. Super dramatic, but dramatic does not equal feminine. Like yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I also did not really imagine him at all is feminine in any way. Mm-hmm. Like 
Yeah, and then I think you have to break down, like, you know, what what makes something feminine. Yeah, exactly. What and, makes... like, really analyze your own, like, bias about gender. Yeah. Mm. Which I think is something we try and do regularly anyways. We're constantly, like, discussing gender and, like, the social constructs around it. Yeah, I think particularly... Um, not only do we discuss it in, in personal lives, but in our work mm, because definitely. we are constantly having to confront and then reevaluate the ideas of gender mm. or how so- society and how we've socialized certain things. Definitely. Not just gender, many, many different yeah, things. Yeah, so many different things. So, yeah, it, it, the feminization of Draco in the fandom, I suppose you'd have to look at why someone is doing it. Like you're saying, is it part of this drive for heteronormativity? Mm. Is it part of a drive of, like, um, a woman writing who wants to identify with the character mm-hmm. and then, like, mm-hmm. sort of puts Draco into this, like, ultra-personalized mm-hmm. role that comes off as very, yeah. very much feminine? Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, too, because, you know, there's, like, a lot of criticism of women writing these, like, queer male relationships, and when we sat and self-reflected on, like, why did we choose this pairing? Oh, yeah, because we had to... uh, Obviously, we wrote it at first, and then we, you know, looked into the fandom and got more involved in the fandom. Or, you know, just sort Mm. of viewing what everyone else is doing. And then this discussion about um, people, you know, like, cishet Mm. people, women, writing... Mm gay characters mm. and how there's this fetishization of yeah. gay characters so and we, how problematic it can be oh extremely yeah. yeah so we had to do some self-reflecting about you know what is our story did we engage in that are we engaging that are yeah. we complicit definitely and and then like that like recognition that i so like going back to that you know like people like self-inserting obviously this is a self-insert right mm-hmm. but i feel like the fact that draco is a male character is like a irrelevant and the fact that like I don't need to feminize him to relate to him. Yeah, completely. You know? I actually think I hyper masculinize Harry a bit to relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like to so relate to him I, more. Yeah. I, I definitely did not do that. Yeah. I don't think I, I very much related to him like as a man. Yeah. Um and not to have like absolve ourselves of any yeah. any need to reflect more on how we engage in fandom in the future, but I think the way that we approached these characters really had nothing to do with... With their gender. Or with their being gay, gay yeah. men. I think their, who they are in the story was yeah, so yeah, compelling exactly. already. No, that's really what like caught me. And you know, Draco could have been a female character or not. And either way, I would have identified with this character. What do you think about um, people saying like... You know how the Harry Potter universe and fandom has sort of just made everyone gay in the story. What do you think about people saying that? I think it's interesting because there is so little queer representation in mainstream media that Mm. I think a lot of the fandom, a lot of people who participate in fandom are queer and just don't have characters to relate to. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that, like, I found really important for me. Like, when I found Dreary, I was just, like, I really identify with this. Because, Mm. like, I, too, like (laughs) same-sex relationships. You know, the fact that they're men was, again, irrelevant to me. But um, I just feel like there's not enough The fact that they didn't fit this archetype. Yeah, yeah. That I think JK very much tries to fit Harry into with Ginny. Yeah, and he just, like, his character just doesn't. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I never saw that being very realistic yeah, either. I, either. I saw it as very much like a society yeah. external pressure. Yeah, not from Harry. I think Harry and her are like beautiful friends. Yeah. And you always get that feeling throughout the series yeah. that they're great friends. Definitely. I just don't... It's not as compelling from the romantic side for no, me. Definitely. No, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like undervaluing of platonic friendships yeah. is like comes out really strongly. And... Um, like that again, that heteronormativity where it's just like pair the hero off with his lady friend, <laughs> his best friend's younger sister. Yeah, which is also a big problematic trope yeah, in a lot of a literature. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that you know people who ship Harry and Ginny they're wrong or yeah, we don't yeah. agree with them. It's just I think personally I don't find it anywhere near as compelling as I it don't could either. Have been. Yeah, I whereas like I find his obsessive stalking of Draco for years and years very compelling. Oh yeah, <laughs> I find that very interesting. Yeah, the amount of like hyper focus he has yeah. about Draco and like you know weird those, details. Yeah, yeah, those random moments in canon where it's just so specific. So and like, like he and he, it's like he can't say anything specific about Ginny, but he can like go on about Draco's eye shade color. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, buddy, you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of like um, Remus and Sirius's yeah. forty line stare. Like, yeah, that's exactly. a detail that says yeah they are gay. In- <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe yes, gay as fuck. <laughs> but like, also just incredibly drawn and enraptured yeah, by absolutely this person, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> forty line stare. Yeah, it's yeah. true. No, it's really true. And I feel like when you take away that like lens of socialized behavior about like gender and romantic roles, like you you can really see that. Yeah, and when you also start to peel away the idea that Draco is inherently bad, yeah, you know, and that he couldn't be loved, that yeah. he's not worth love, yeah. I think that's that's a a huge part of canon. Yeah. But it's funny that JK when she's interviewed about mm. Draco, she's so she's like he's a terrible person. Yeah, Why no, she's so dismissive very, of him. Especially as a child. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's so young. Like what chance did he have being totally. raised in that environment? Of course he was a little shithead in school, you yeah. know? That and doesn't mean he's not capable of being something better. And it's weird because she writes his redemption in not killing Dumbledore. Yeah. But then like when she's when people brought up the mm. Harry Draco fascination mm. to her. She's like, of course Harry wouldn't like him. But why not? Why not? He's a very I feel like he's compelling... the most relatable character to Harry in the entire <laughs> fucking series. Yeah. He, he's almost like a mirror character. Yeah, I completely agree. Which is interesting because I feel like she tried to write Neville as his mirror character, but there's... I don't find that nearly as compelling. Well, it's a mirror in another way. Mm. I mean, she... It's almost like... Lily and James are a mirror of Frank and Alice. Mm. Not necessarily that their sons have mirror... Qualities. Yeah, or existences. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, you could draw a lot of comparisons. The childhood Neville had probably wasn't great with his grandmother, Mm. but it certainly... It's not the same as living with the Dursleys. Yeah. Um, And Neville being growing up around magic in the magical world Mm. and Harry not. Yeah. Knowing who his parents were and the sacrifice that they made. Exactly. And, like, being a part of his, like, cultural heritage, whereas, like, Harry was completely divorced from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. I love the amount of empathy Harry has for Neville, though. I mean, in the series, you can see he's just... Yeah, he's really torn apart by this idea that Neville and he had these parallel uh, futures. Yeah. Where they... Yeah. Oh, Neville. (laughs) What a lovely character. Yeah, seriously. Well, I think they're all lovely characters in their own mm. way. I mean, we could sit here and discuss every single one of them. We could we could talk about 
pansy and mm. blaze. Oh, we're gonna. <laughs> we could talk about even lavender. Yeah. Who? I mean, yeah. Obviously, the movie's really fucked with that. But mm. and J.K. herself a little mm. bit. But like you know, lavender. The idea of her in the final battle coming mm. back to fight and then being you know attacked by a werewolf yeah. and what kind of you know arc follows that? This yeah. fascinating ideas mm. of you know all these different characters and their different lives, and they're just as diverse as you would imagine yeah. people. Mm. Anyway. That's like good shit. The original point that we were talking about was how a lot of people criticize the HP fandom mm-hmm. for doing the everyone is gay thing. And I think the point you made about people being so hungry for queer stories. Yeah, and like legitimate queer stories, not queer baiting, not mm. like, you know fan service like actually exploring what it means and often by queer authors yeah exactly so i i've seen that commentary so often and now it just sort of makes me laugh a little bit because yeah Mm. why not well and then like you 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 start to understand like why the fandom and fan fiction flourishes so much like Mm. if you're not writing things that people want to read people will just write it themselves yeah which is exactly what we did. Do you think JK is mad about it? I think... I honestly don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if she's mad about it. The death of the author yeah. has been, like, real Yeah, no, here. definitely. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, fan fiction is, like, strongly worded divorce papers, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the fandom has really taken her work and made it their own. Yeah. Which is, like, the, death of, the whole death of the author exactly. concept. And I think it's quite a cool phenomenon to just watch happen Mm -hmm. and i wonder how it will continue on in the future like as society changes you know 50 or whatever however many years from now yeah what kind of stories will be written yeah and how different will they be that'll be fascinating yeah it's also interesting to like go through the fandom and see what stories you are uh interested in or Mm -hmm. you find yourself drawn to there were certain things in the fandom i would have never thought i would have liked reading about but stuff like the werewolf concept. Yeah, I find yeah. super fascinating. No, me too. But I would have never guessed that about mm. myself. Whereas muggle AUs, I couldn't care less. No, I have I, no interest. A coffee shop AU without magic, I'm sorry. I just can't get on board. <laughs> like, well, enjoy, enjoy writing and reading it, but like, I'm not participating. <laughs> yeah, and, and just like there are people out there who don't yeah. want to read werewolf AUs. Yeah, exactly. I love werewolf AUs. Will not read a single vampire fic. No, same, yeah. I'm I don't know not. what that is, yeah. but like... <laughs> Yeah, the creature fix, like, aside from werewolf and the occasional Vila. Vila, yeah. yeah, Occasional. Yeah, yeah. No, it's super interesting, like, the things that people explore in fandom, I find fascinating. And how individual it is. Yeah. And all of the world building that people do. Oh, totally. That's, like, good shit. Fascinating (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Yeah. People are incredibly creative. Mm. And write just amazing, amazing ideas they have. Mm. And the talent, the writing talent is phenomenal i think particularly in the dreary fandom there's a lot of really phenomenal authors who just have set an incredible Mm. standard and i think it has something to do with how compelling this pairing is like there's just so much to work with completely there really is yeah and okay so i don't want to do any other ship bashing Mm. yeah like for reference i don't care who ships who or what and you can write anything you want as long as you tag it Mm. you know i think yeah the other day we talked mm. about medical fetishization. Yeah. I'm not going to read it. You're not going to read it. Tag it appropriately and write the shit out of it if you want. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, go for it. Um, but I was going to ask you what you and your personal thoughts are on Draco Hermione. 
<laughs> oh no, the Germani people are going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Just, but that's your personal no, opinion. No, this is just yeah. my personal opinion. Like, I honestly, I don't care that people like, like whatever. Right. Do what you want, yeah. do what you want. I really don't care. I just am very much a diehard dreary person. Mm. I find the Hermione Draco thing very uncompelling. Yeah. I find it, like, throughout canon, I, even from, like, the earlier books, I, before I even knew what dreary was, I identified with Draco as a queer character. Mm. Like, very early on. So, like, when I realized that there were people out there who shipped Hermione and Draco, it just, like, felt so weird to me because I was yeah. like, but he's so gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just so clearly a gay character. It doesn't make any sense that he would be with anyone, let alone Hermione, which yeah. just seemed like a very uncompelling character pairing to me. It just seemed like it, it, just, yeah. it didn't fit. I, I yeah, very, very similar thoughts. Yeah. Except I sort of... When I think about them, I think about... I know... So I haven't read very many of their... Par- mm. At all, any, probably. I've read a couple. And I think... Well, in my head, like you're saying, there, I just... There's no... Like, there's no idea of attraction there to mm, me. Mm. Like, for either of them to be drawn to yeah, the yeah. other. Whereas, like, Hermione's just got eyes for Ron for the whole series, like, so obviously. Yeah, and I don't mind when people explore, you know, her and Ron having... Like, obviously, we Mm. ship Hermione in this um, fic. And I don't mind the idea that people explore that either they are long-term, wonderful, happily married high Mm. school sweethearts, basically. Or this idea that they grow in different ways as people and find different partners. Mm. Like, I... Yeah. Ron can be a bit of an irritating Burke in the, you know, yeah. in canon. So if she, if they decide to remain friends, whatever. Yeah. But her and Draco, it, oh, it just seemed like she was sort of ensnared by a bully. Yeah. And, and. Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And yeah. that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And, they, and, and I, I've always found a lot of the Germani fiction write Draco as this, like, they just continue him being mean. Right, like it's a bit of Fifty Shades of Grey vibes. Oh no! Yeah, don't even, <laughs> and I don't mean, even mention that horrific <laughs> piece of literature. It's not literature. No, trash. It's, yeah, it's literal Kindling. trash. It's oh yeah, no. And so like oh. I, that's kind of the sense I got. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people can send me some different Germani stuff, and maybe I'll come around. But you got to do some work to convince me Draco's not gay. Yeah. Me <laughs> well, too. I feel like that's my starting point. And then, like, relationship dynamic aside, like... And what about Harry? Did you think Harry was immediately gay? Bisexual. So hard. Why? Uh, I mean, well, Draco. The preoccupation with Draco. But also Cedric mm. and Oliver Wood. And he spends so much time talking about the appearance of other boys. Yeah, he does. And, like, clearly, like, interested in Cho and Ginny, but, like... Oh, those characters are so flat, though, in the beginning. Yeah, they're so flat. And Mm. then, like, but, like, you describe other boys, and, like, there is some very much interest there, but, like, you can tell he hasn't quite figured out what that interest is. Yeah. He just is enraptured by these other boy characters in a way that is not straight. And, obviously, like, J.K. didn't intend to do that, that we know of. Yeah, well, I, I often wonder if J.K writes that as a woman thinking about men. boys yeah exactly yeah because i think yeah. her her focus comes through very clearly mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. she's writing about things that maybe she would notice yeah exactly so when she writes young women characters yeah. they're not well in a romantic sense yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not definitely. particularly interesting yeah yeah i find that really interesting 
Yeah. So Harry, I always imagined definitely just obsessed with Draco and, and the way he describes mm. the other boys in yeah. the fic is like he in, just waxes poetic about Cedric. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, in a, such a and Bill and, and Charlie. Bill and Charlie. It's just such a weird way. Yeah, no, very, very And weird. you're like mm. even serious and, oh, and yeah. Remus. The you most know? handsome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, and then Cho is just pretty. Yeah, she got pretty black hair. She's pretty. Ginny <laughs> got pretty red hair. <laughs> like <laughs> pretty nice skin. Yeah, nice skin. Like okay, buddy. <laughs> Ron's like, wait, what? Is that a normal thing to say? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, those are just sort of our personal yeah takes on things. But I'm willing to be convinced otherwise if there's a compelling argument. You know, I tried to read a very famous Hermione, um, like, focused yeah. fic, and I just could not, I, I do not identify with her at all, or the way she was written in it, mm. at least, or some of her key character elements from mm-hmm. canon, I just don't self-insert in a way yeah. that makes me, like, enjoy the story. Mm-hmm. So, I gave up after, like, three chapters. Yeah. Which sucks. But. <laughs> Shame. Yeah, I think we are drawn to a very specific kind of relationship dynamic. Yeah, it's how we ended up writing Dreary and Wolfstar. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Shame. Well, I, yeah, I wish... Yeah. Not that we wouldn't write other ones. It's mm-hmm. just... We just like, haven't found anything that we find personally engaging. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like, we need to be, like, personally motivated by a, a key component in like character development or story arc although i could definitely see you writing like pansy hermione oh yeah i could definitely do that yeah yeah (laughs) high school romance or Ginny luna that's another great that's another good one i like Ginny pansy actually quite a lot i've read a few good ones Mm. Ginny pansy Mm. but i do love hermione ron yeah. So it's not like I'm only shipping the gay ships. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, we wrote Luna and Greg. <laughs> I love Luna yeah. and Greg. I, <laughs> I love it so it much. It's just so pure. <laughs> it, it, I think well, it'll come out yeah. more in part three. Yeah, as we, as we keep writing. But it's very cute. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was a long discussion. Yeah. Let's uh, get back to reading. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>